Alright, boys and ghouls, strap yourselves in. Oh boy, I'm fired up today, boys and ghouls. I am fired up today. Um, welcome to the latest and greatest episode of Buddy's House and Horror Podcast. The latest and greatest episode so far that I'm doing right now. Boys and ghouls, as I said, I am furious. And would you like to know why, boys and ghouls? Would you like to know why I'm furious? Because someone in Illinois... I have a vendetta against the state of Illinois right now. Specifically, people born on March 4th, 1995 that live in Illinois for hacking my Spotify account. Very annoying. Very cumbersome. This happened this morning. When I arose from my slumber, I woke up and I noticed that my phone was playing things on Spotify that I had never played on Spotify before and was currently playing them in casting them to a Chromecast computer in Illinois. They were listening to... uh, This is the real kicker of what they were listening to. They hacked my Spotify, listened to Spotify all night long, like approximately like eight or nine hours overnight, listening to nothing but lo-fi hip-hop beats, which, as we all know, there are several live streams going on over on YouTube that are completely free, you could be listening to, listening to all your spof, your lo-fi, um, Spotify hits and chill, chilled cow, um, lo-fi girl. You can listen to all of those things over on YouTube for completely free. Free. Why on earth do you need to hack someone's Spotify account to listen to music that you can listen to on YouTube completely ad-free for no reason? So I log out of all my devices on my phone. And I changed my password because it's connected to my Facebook. So I have to change my Facebook email and my Facebook password. Thus, changing the password to my Spotify. Little did I know, they didn't get to my Spotify through my Facebook. They got on it in some other means. And they had changed my Spotify email. And I cannot change my Spotify email back or change my password. So I thought, basically, I'm screwed. I lost my Spotify account. Because I can't reset the password because they change it to an email that I don't have the password for. They change it to whatever the fuck their email is in Illinois being born on March 4th, 1995. So a few years younger than me. They're probably pissed they're about to turn 30 in a couple years. So they're probably upset they need to steal someone's Spotify account. So very upset about that. So I was able to actually get in contact with Spotify customer service. Because earlier this morning, I thought it was all done. I thought it was a done deal. And then I'm listening to my music actually editing a different podcast that you guys have probably heard by now. But I was editing that, and all of a sudden, I was listening to Typo Negative. All of a sudden, my music switched to more lo-fi hip-hop beats to chill. And I was furious, because I thought I had it all figured out. That's when I realized the email fiasco. So I was able to get in touch with Spotify customer service. Very good Spotify customer service. They were able to get the issue resolved. <clears throat> they were basically able to make get rid of any changes that were made to my account within the last 24 hours. So they were able to do that. It was able to boot them from my Spotify. And then I was able to change my username and my password again. So now my Spotify is officially my Spotify yet again, and not this random person who felt it necessary to steal my account to listen to free music. And it's the middle of, well, okay, we'll break kayfabe. We will break kayfabe right now because I'm fired up. It's the middle of summer. You don't need to have music to study and relax to in the middle of summer. It's just unnecessary. 
So that was very upsetting to me today. But thank you to Spotify for clearing that up right away. That was very, very helpful. And now I can listen to all of the gothic metal that I would like without risk of losing my account. Because I was just mad I was going to lose all my playlists. I was going to lose all the like songs that I've found over the years and stuff like that. Because there's a bunch of random shit in there that I would never remember if I didn't go on my like songs and be like, oh yeah, that song slaps. So, very happy I was able to get my account back. So today is going to be a great day as of now. I'm drinking Fruit Punch Gatorade. I know I always tell you guys if I'm drinking something out of the ordinary what it is. Today I'm drinking a Fruit Punch Gatorade, which is never my first choice, but it's never my last choice either. I actually quite enjoy the Fruit Punch Gatorade quite a bit. My favorite is the Glacier Freeze, I believe it's called. But Fruit Punch, probably in my top five Gatorade flavors. It's classic. It's classy. Um, just stain your lips a little bit. It looks like you're wearing lipstick, but that is totally fine. It doesn't matter to me if my lips are red. So, what are we talking about today? You guys have read the title. Come on, man. You heard my intro before I went into my ramblings. You know that this is the continuation of reviewing every single horror film that I saw in the year 2023. You know if you listened to the last episode that we covered the months of January, February, and all of March. So now we're starting off with the month of April, We're going to talk about May, we'll get into June, we might even get to July in this podcast. I'm not sure how long we're going to be going here, but we're definitely going to at least get through the next couple months, and we will see. We might have to do a part three um, in this part of the year, just release three parts, depending on how long I babble on about these films, because I watched a lot of films this year. I've watched like 65 films total this year so far as of recording this. Not all of them were horror, but as of recording this, I've watched 65 films this year, and that's probably going to just about double by the end of the year, I would imagine. Um, So a lot of stuff to talk about, man. That is a lot of films to talk about, so I don't know how many we're going to get through in this podcast. I'm hoping to be able to wrap this up and then just do one more to round out the end of the year. At the end of the year, we will. Pr- I promise you, if nothing else, we will get every film I watched in 2023 for a New Year's episode, either at the end of December or sometime in the beginning of January. I promise you all that that will be a thing that happens, hopefully. I watched the first film of April was our namesake for our podcast with me and Dynamite Jared. Of course, we illustriously changed our name from Two Nerds a Podcast when we brought on our third nerd, Midnight Miles Aykroyd, who promptly stopped doing the podcast with us, but we still kept the name. We're keeping the name Brain Damage. It's a headache from hell. A normal, average guy who lives in New York City becomes dependent on an evil, disembodied brain. Classic film. Um, Of course, brought to us by the same team who brought us Basket Case. This film is not as good as Basket Case, but it does check a lot of my my boxes, what I'm looking for in 80s horror. Lots of gore, special effects. Um, There's an 80s goth punk rock like bar scene, complete with like a music video, I think. Um, Almer, who is the, you know, the parasite that you stick on the back of your neck and he takes over your brain for brain damage. He's basically like a drug. 
um, and he is telling our main character what to do. There is a cameo from, I don't think it's the exact actor, but it's a, it's a little hint and a nod to Basket Case in that subway scene there. Um, there's a blowjob scene with Elmer. Um, that's something that needs to be seen to be believed. Um, it's not one of my favorite 80s horror films. Um, it's a three star for me, so it's a very middle of the road as far as like 80 horror films go. But I do enjoy it. Again, we named our podcast after it just because it's a good name. And that is a, pretty much all I have to say about brain damage. I I would say if you're going to watch a film sort of like in this sort of style and genre, Basket Case is definitely the way to go. Um, maybe even like Frankenhooker might be a better one than brain damage. I don't know. I think it's about at the same level as um, Frankenhooker. Um, brain damage is better than Frankenhooker. I, I apologize. Brain damage is better, but Basket Case is the GOAT. Um, I need to rewatch Basket Case 2 um, because I saw it in not perhaps the correct environment, which which was a, with a bunch of people who were not going to be into Basket Case 2. Um, I still never seen 3. Um, Jared and Ricky both say 3 is absolutely abysmal to stay away as far away as possible from Basket Case 3. But... I have this morbid curiosity about Basket Case 3. I think I have to watch Basket Case 3 at some point in my life. At some point in my life, I'm going to need to sit down and find a way to watch Basket Case 3. Um, the next film that I watched was not a horror film. It was the Super Mario Brothers movie. Highly recommend the Super Mario Brothers movie. But later on that day, because I watched the film with Jared and Maisie, we went to go see... We met at a theater about... It, halfway in between our homes we met at the theater it was a bit lovely time then the three of us went to go get sushi again lovely time then we went back to jared's house for a smorgasbord of pizza rolls and horror films well one horror film um i i was a little i wanted to order a pizza so bad that night i wanted to order a pizza but Maisie was like we have pizza at home basically and then we were presented with a giant plate of pizza rolls, which everyone who was over at Jared and Maisie's house, including a couple of their friends, all ate from the same plate of pizza rolls. So, it was an interesting evening. But it was a cheap evening, so I'm not that mad about it. I didn't have to throw down any money for some pizza. But, pizza's always slapping. We watched a film called Evil Dead Trap. It's from 1988. Um, I did not enjoy it. I fell asleep during it. I didn't even give it a rating on Letterboxd because I couldn't properly judge the film because I was drifting in, in and out of slumber because, of course, by the time we started the film, it was almost midnight. Pure terror. A talk show hostess takes a camera crew out to an abandoned factory to investigate a purported snuff film that was made there. As she gets closer to the truth, she and her friends are subjected to a brutal nightmare. I'm going to look at some of my friends ratings for this. Jared gave it three stars that night. So Jared enjoyed it. Um, cousin Bobby, who's in charge of the, um, horror trivia nights in Cleveland of which I'm currently one of the reigning champions. He gave it four stars. So he really liked it. Um, couple of other people, four stars, three stars here and there. Dan was the lowest rated with two and a half stars. Um, again, I fell asleep during most of it, so I couldn't properly give it a rating, but I did log that I watched it. But I'm not one to judge whether or not you should watch it because I was exhausted and I was asleep. 
and I just had a bunch of pizza rolls. The next thing I watched a couple days later, went to the theater again. I was going to the theater a lot in April. April was the month of the cinema. I finally got to see Renfield in theaters. And I'm going to try to prevent this from being a long Dracula sort of discussion. We're going to talk about Renfield, but I know my brain is just going to start talking about other Dracula-related things during the discussion of Renfield. Of course, brand new, new release, directed by Chris McKay. Um, of course, from the Lego Batman movie fame. <laughs> but regardless, Nicolas Cage stars as Count Dracula. Actually a very good choice. He'd be a good Dracula in not a comedy. He'd be a good Dracula in a straight-up horror Dracula film, I believe. Sucks to be him. Oh, and stars uh, Nick Holt as Renfield, as we talked about when I talked about the menu. Sucks to be him. Having grown sick and tired of the centuries as Dracula's lackey, Renfield finds a new lease on life and maybe even redemption, when he falls for a feisty, angry traffic cop, Rebecca Quincy. Which is a reference to Quincy Morris, who was in the Dracula novel. Um, again, I'm going to try to keep... I, again, I'm just going to say whatever I want. This is my show. I'm going to say whatever I want. I can talk about Dracula as much as I want. Um, I Probably my favorite... There's two moments in this film that I would classify as my favorite moments of the film. One of which is the intro when it's in black and white... And you see Nicolas Cage in the classic Dracula outfit and they're recreating scenes from the original film. My other favorite part would have to be the battle scene in like the apartment complex where you see like arms getting ripped off and just all mayhem has gone loose. Those are two scenes that are always going to stick with me. My main problem with Renfield is the focus of the film isn't necessarily where I think the focus should be all the time. There's a lot of the romance aspect going on, and that's not something I think they really should have focused on with this. They should have focused more on the relationship with him and Dracula rather than him and this um, traffic cop who he's dating. But regardless, I still enjoy the film quite a bit, three and a half stars, but it's something that could have been so much better. Um, so it does leave me with a little bit of disappointment, but for what it is, it's fine. Um, me, I'm always wanting not even a, an authentic Dracula to the book, but maybe something more in tune with what a lot of the movies were. Like, I appreciate they did something, like, really different, of course, focusing on Renfield, who... It, this is the Renfield that was in the 1931 Dracula, because he's the one that's going to the castle. It's not the Dr Renfield from the novel or many of the other film adaptations, this is a direct rip from the 1931 Renfield because they they switched some of the character roles around a little bit for that film. So Renfield is actually the one who goes to Transylvania when it's normally Jonathan Harker. So I did like that aspect. It's sort of a homage to the 31 film. It's sort of a follow-up to the 1931 film, had they all survived. Um, I really enjoyed it for that aspect. I really enjoyed Renfield in general. I wish we got to see more of Nick Cage as Dracula. I love the many forms of Dracula in this film because not like in the trailers and stuff, we only see him as Nick Cage. We don't see like the old version of Dracula and the special effects in this are just crazy. So it's a very good film. I do recommend checking it out and watching it. Again, it's nothing that's going to blow your socks off. It's nothing that's going to blow you away. Um... Yeah, there's not too much else to say about Renfield. I do enjoy it. It is one that when it came out, I wanted to do a full episode about it. But for whatever reason, it didn't work out that way. So it is what it is. 
the next film that I watched again in theaters, as I was saying, a film that I was very disappointed in, very disappointed in the next film that I watched, which was Evil Dead Rise. For those of you guys that know me, you know that the Evil Dead franchise is one of my favorite franchises of all time, right up there with Dracula. Um, I love the original Evil Dead. Not as good as Evil Dead 2, which is probably tied for one of my favorite films of all time. It's definitely in the top five favorite films of all time, Evil Dead 2. Army of Darkness, I'm not the biggest fan of. I get why people like it, but not really my thing. Haven't watched all of Ash's Evil Dead, Ash vs. the Evil Dead. I liked the remake of Evil Dead, the one from 2013. I reviewed that back when it first came out. I went to an advanced screening of Evil Dead. Somehow I was invited to an advanced screening. It's crazy that now that I do this regularly, I've never been invited to anything. But before I had this podcast, I was invited to a advanced screening for film reviewers of the Evil Dead remake. So I have strong feelings towards that one, too. Evil Dead Rise sucked. Mommy loves you to death. Three siblings find an ancient vinyl that gives birth to bloodthirsty demons that run amok in a Los Angeles apartment building and thrust them into a primal battle for survival as they face the most nightmarish version of family imaginable. There are things about this film that I like. I do like the acting particularly from Alyssa Sutherland who is the main woman who is possessed by the demon there are some good scenes in here um, but there's some stuff that's like really stupid I know that they are homaging the original Evil Dead where they couldn't get into the cabin but I always thought <clears throat> that the Deadites probably could get in the cabin if they really wanted to but here, like, there's no attempt to get into this apartment at all. She's, like, in the hallway. And there's some good scenes in that hallway. But it just seems like the Deadites, in both this version and in the 2013, they're just so much, like, weaker and not as good as the original Deadites. Which is fine. They're going for a more realistic approach. Like, I understand. But for me, it just makes it not as enjoyable. Um, there's some funny moments in there. There's some decent stuff that happens. I like the intro. Um, I think when the title comes up, it's absolutely absurd and it's funny and I love it. But for the most part, and like the biggest thing for me is like they're taking place in a new environment. That was the big thing about this film. It doesn't play, take place in a cabin in the woods. It takes place in this high-rise apartment building. And they don't utilize the location at all. The only, they use the apartment. There's a little bit of the hallway. And then they use like the parking garage down below. That's it. Like, I understand they don't want to be demons too and just have a million things going on on all levels of the apartment. I get that. But there's so many things that you could... And there's an elevator scene. My I think there's a couple scenes in an elevator. But other than that, you could have done this just about anywhere. It didn't have to be a high-rise apartment. The film is literally called Evil Dead Rise because it's supposed to be in a high-rise like, they could have done stuff where they're up on the roof. They could have... I mean, I think that when they unearth the vinyl, they're, like, in the basement or whatever. But, like, there's just so much you could have done. And they squandered the opportunity. Like, it was such a missed opportunity. Um, so that's the main reason why I don't like it. Like, again, I hate that I judge films for what they could be rather than what they actually are. But sometimes it's just too easy. Sometimes it's too easy to point out these flaws. 
It's called Evil Dead Rise when it could be Evil Dead Room. Like, Evil Dead in a room in a hallway. Like, I don't know. Do you disagree with me? Am I being too harsh? If I've seen the film, if you've seen the film, rather, and you disagree with me, please let me know. Please let me know what you think about it. If you liked it. Did you love it? Did you hate it? I need to know. What do people on Letterboxd think? There's some respectable people in my letterbox that are giving it very high ratings. I don't see why. How are people giving this four and a half to five stars? I'm literally blown away in this moment. I've never looked at everyone's star ratings for this. Am I the only one that didn't like this? Oh, okay. Joel gave it half a star. Dan gave it one star. That's a little bit harsh. Jared gave it two and a half, which is the same rating I gave it. What's Jared's review? Jared's review says, easily the worst in the franchise. I agree. Um, not good. Did not like Evil Dead Rise. And, the, like, the setup for, like, some of this shit is just, like, so stupid. Like, the climax... Like, there's, like, the wood chipper thing. And, like, why would there be a wood chipper in Los Angeles in a garage? And they just, like, show it at the beginning of the film. And they're like, oh, yeah, they're doing some maintenance. Like, it's just, like, so lazy. Um, I feel like they were just writing this around, like, certain little scenarios... Instead of having, like, a well-thought-out idea throughout. Like, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I have one more film for April. And then we'll be wrapped up with the month of April. And moving quicker into the months of the summer. And that film is Possession. One of the most insane breakup movies of all time. One of the most insane movies in general of all time. Of course, starring our boy, Sam Neill. From Jurassic Park. Very great film. <clears throat> Inhuman ecstasy fulfilled. A young woman left her family for an unspecified reason. The husband determines to find out the truth and starts following his wife. At first, he suspects that a man is involved, but gradually he finds out more and more strange behaviors and bizarre instances that indicate something much more than a possessed love affair. The cinematography in this film is out of this world. It is insane, the cinematography in this film. Um, one particular scene that comes to mind is they're in this restaurant in front of all these mirrors. And the way that it's shot, like obviously you're, you don't see the cameras at all. But just the way they do it is just so innovative for the time. And this was early 80s, like... They're not doing any, like, crazy CG stuff. Like, this, this stuff they really shot. Um, it looks phenomenal. Um, there's a lot of great scenes in this. Of course, we watched it. My wife actually selected the film. Um, because, of course, that scene of her flipping out in the alleyway was all over TikTok. So, it's kind of getting a resurgence. A lot of people are rediscovering the film. I had never seen it before. This is my first time watching it, but I had heard about it before. Um, I actually show a clip of this film in my film class that I teach at Cleveland State. Not the freakout scene. There's the scene at the, uh, I won't give it away, but it's a scene that sort of leaves your emotions and then it kind of cuts. So it shows like when to let something draw out. And obviously I think that's a good editing thing. Otherwise I wouldn't be showing it in my class. Um, I love the way the movie sounds, which is a weird thing to say. I just love the way that... <clears throat> 
the audio in some of these old movies sound from like the 80s and earlier just the way the microphones pick things up like i just love the audio quality of this film which is something i liked enough to write down that i like the way that the film sounds um again it's a masterpiece um i gave it four stars pretty much everyone on my letterbox agrees even even dan and joel they have respectable ratings for it dan maybe not so much he's got a three star but overwhelmingly people have been rating this quite highly only 768 people on letterbox have rated this half a star when the majority of the people have given it over three stars i gave it a solid four so i think that is a good rating to have possession at um again iconic imagery um the posters for this are iconic with her with the snakes and stuff and then even just the one where it's just the behind the back shot um with the claws it just looks really good it's a very iconic film all the way around definitely one to add to your watch lists if you have not seen possession already and now it's time to move on to the merry month of may it's gonna be may the month of may may 2023 i watched quite a few films this month some horror films some not um it's gonna be a little bit of a mix of different genres of horror films different kinds of eras of horror films and lots of great stuff headed into the month of may 2023 starting off with the 1986 film where there's a little bit of history behind that which we'll get into spookies gremlins chased you ghoulies terrified you now beg for your life taking a wrong turn travelers find themselves trapped in a mysterious house one horror after another threatens them as the sorcerer who lives within needs sacrifices to give eternal life to his beautiful bride. This film I had first heard about, I don't know, probably like early college. I've seen it online about people talking about it. Cinemassacre reviewed it in their 80s-a-thon, I believe. So I don't know what year that was off the top of my head, maybe 2013, 2014-ish. But I had heard about the film before that. It has very iconic imagery, very iconic cover and poster of the film. And I finally watched it for the first time. And what did I think about Spookies? Well, I gave it three stars. So what would you say? I thought it was very middle of the road. I think it is good as advertised, good for a spooky good time. Spookies is good for a spooky time, ironically. Um, I love the iconic synth opening, as always. Getting a good synth score at the beginning of your film is perfect. Not a John Carpenter synth score, but still very, very good. Um, the characters are fun. It's just typical teenage stereotypes. Um, there's a dude in the film who has puppets. He's kind of like the little jokester, the little prankster. He is the precursor to Uncle Joey from Full House, um, even though they never called him Uncle Joey within the show, I guess. Um, but he just gave me that vibe of Joey. Um, the reason I say it was sort of from 1986 is because it's that's when it was released. But it's really two movies into one. Um, there was an original film that was coming out. It was called Twisted Souls. Um, that was the original name of the film. And that is where all the footage with the teenagers is. Um, but they ended up running out of money or whatever the case is. I don't have the whole story in front of me. Um, but basically they ran out of money. They had to stop shooting it. 
um, which was kind of a shame. But back in 85, so a couple years later, started back up again. And that's where all the footage with the wizard, the were-cat, and the demon kid come from. Because if you were to just watch this film, like, looking at it, you might not notice that it's really disjointed. Like, you never see the wizard and the kid... Um, the wizard and the teenagers, like, in the same segments and stuff like that. Um, on your first watch, like, when I watched it for the first time, I did not realize that it was two films in one. But looking back and doing, like, a little bit of research after that, it really is kind of disjointed the way you look at it. Um, the special effects vary in quality. Um, obviously, they had different budgets and different styles, different tones. So, really, it is, like, two films in one. Um, the Grim Reaper creature in this is probably the most iconic out of all the creatures in the film but there are tons of great ones in there um, a lot of great special effects especially like with the teenager stuff lots of mayhem going around and then once you get to the wizard where cat stuff it kind of gives a cheap vibe it seems like they were trying to just finish this as quickly as possible because i mean i guess they had all this footage they didn't want to see it go to waste and i do recommend spookies um again it's not a major classic or anything and it does feel a little strange um once you do know the history of it like i'm curious if anyone saw it for the first time and didn't really think anything of it like me and then did a little bit of research and been like huh like, I guess it was a little bit more disjointed than I realized, because really, it took place two different times, two different, I would imagine two different crews, two different directors, they had to get people, you know, just kind of shoved in there to figure things out, but regardless, Spookies, great stuff. Um, the next day, I went hard. Four movies in a day. Not all of them were horror, but... Four movies in a day. All four watched with Midnight Miles. Um, we went to go see an anime film called Five Centimeters Per Second um, at the Cleveland uh, Cinema Institute, the Institute of Art. Um, not a horror film, so not much to say there. Went back to Miles' house after. Just me and him. My wife was with us at the cinemas, but she had other plans to begin with. So she went to her other plans, Miles, and I went over to Miles' house, and then my wife ended up joining us at Miles' house for the last film out of the triple feature at Miles' house, four films total for the day. She Devils on Wheels. Miles and I watched this. It's a crazy horror-slash-biker-ish film, just kind of like a grindhouse-y type of film. Um, I love the vibe of the film. I love the aesthetic of the film. Um, I am very, even though I wasn't around at the time, well, cause maybe nostalgic isn't the great word, but I have like a tendency to really like films of this, the way they look, the way they feel. Um, it, it's very Kolshak the Night Stalker-ish vibes. I just really love that era of film and cinema, um, late 60s, early 70s stuff. I mean, I mean, I don't think there's an era of film that I dislike, um, but like I just really love the way that these films look and feel. C. Female Hellcats ruling their men with tire irons as their instruments of passion. An all-female motorcycle gang called the Maneaters hold motorcycle races as well as terrorize the re residents of a small Florida town and clash off against the all-male rival gang of hot riders. So again, it's not exactly a horror film like in essence, but it gives that drive-in vibe. It gives that, you know, grindhouse cinema, double feature, 
watching movies outside, watching movies as a communal thing. It gives that sort of vibe. Um, I don't remember too many specifics like from the film. Just because, as I said, this was part of a very long night of watching a ton of shit. And also, we had a full day prior to this. Like, we had a full day, went to the movie theaters, and then went back to Miles' house and watched three additional films. So I don't have as much to say. It's just a good, like, vibe movie. Like, a good movie to put on for an aesthetic. Um, There are a lot of movies like that, like the WNUF Halloween special. Good aesthetic movie. Good movie to just put on to cultivate a vibe. She Devils on Wheels definitely fits into that category. Next film we watched was called The Slayer from 1982, um, directed by John J.S. Cardone. She searched through the dark corridors of the unknown only to find The Slayer. Siblings Eric and his surreal artist sister Kay, her doctor husband David, her sister-in-law Brooke, along with the pilot Marsh, become stranded on a rugged isle faced off against supernatural beasts drawn to Kay, who dreams of its killings. You know a film description is great when it has to name every single fucking character in the movie of value. Um, The Slayer, for what it is, again, is another vibe film. Only it's a vibe film, like, for the 80s. It's your typical 80s. I don't want to say, like, traditional slasher like Michael Myers or something like that, but it's definitely in the slasher genre. It's sort of like a supernatural-ish, horror-ish film. Um, but again, it just has a great vibe. It reminds me of, like, Shockwaves and stuff like that just because it takes place, like, on an island. It's dark. Um, just another good, vibey type film. Again, nothing too special. There's not really a whole lot to say about it. Just another solid three-star-ish film. Next one we watched, again, this one technically is logged as May 14th, but it's because we wrapped up watching it after midnight. Invasion of the Flesh Hunters, alternatively called Cannibal Apocalypse. Um, my, My wife actually picked this one out of a stack of films that Miles had for us to watch. Miles loves to do this thing where, like, he'll bring over a stack of DVDs or he'll have a stack of DVDs at his house. And it's, like, the four or five, like, worst-looking movies you've ever seen in your entire life. And he's like, we're watching one of these tonight. And so out of all of them, this is the one my wife picked, Invasion of the Flesh Hunters. Um, POWs in Vietnam, starved in captivity, released with a taste for human flesh. Released from captivity in Vietnam, two American army officers return to civilian life and discover they have acquired an insustainable taste for human flesh. A city is terrorized as they stalk the inhabitants to satisfy their primitive appetites. Not much to say about it. Not really a great film overall. Um, It's got John Saxon in it, which is probably the only reason people know about it or talk about it today i mean like a a good decent amount of people on my letterbox have watched this um so i'm assuming it's for him otherwise i don't really know how many people may have heard of this one um it's from 1980 um again nothing to write home about i gave it two stars my wife gave it a star and a half unsurprisingly miles with the solid three so this is a typical miles movie but again not as much to say about it later on that day This is after, obviously, approximately six to eight hours of sleep, but also on the 14th, I watched John Tucker Must Die, which is not a horror film, but it definitely is, you know, it has to do with murder and stuff like that, so it's a very fun film. Not going to go too in-depth about John Tucker Must Die. Um, Took a few days in between, 
and watched a film that I had heard about for years. Like, I don't want to say, like, decades, but definitely since it came out. 2018 is when the film came out, so it's a relatively new film, but it's a film that Jared, Miles, everyone had been telling me to, like, you gotta watch this film. You gotta watch this film. It's a masterpiece. You gotta see Summer of 84. And I put off seeing it for a long time because anytime people would bring it up, ever, it wasn't Summer. They'd be like, oh, you got to watch Summer of 84. It's like November 13th or some shit. So I was actually getting hype for summer this year. And I was like, you know what? It's May. The weather's starting to get nice. I can't fucking wait for summer. I'm going to watch a summer movie. Summer vibes. Summer aesthetic. I'm finally going to watch Summer of 84. And I'm glad that I did. Every serial killer lives next door to someone. Summer is usually a time for fun and games, but some teams get much more danger than they bargain for after beginning to suspect their neighbor is a serial murderer. Um, obviously, film takes place in 84, in the summer. Great choices of music. Um, feels very great, very 80s. I love just, as I said, I mean, I've said this a couple times, but I just love the aesthetic. I love the nostalgic feelings that it gives me even though I wasn't alive in the 80s um I love the clubhouse that the kids have you know they're eating on tvs on tv trays um with their families and shit it just reminds me of growing up in Ashtabula I guess because me and Miles talk about this all the time Ashtabula and I guess some areas of the midwest in general just kind of feel 10 years behind the rest of society at least um it's like a big running joke between me and my friends so really 1984 reminds us of our childhoods in 1994 um so i just really love the environment this film it creates it has a good group of teenage kids in it although that is kind of getting to be a little bit overdone i mean it's a genre in itself a group of kids in the 80s you have it you have Stranger Things. You have, you know, like Goonies, Lost Boys, something like that. It's a whole genre in and of itself. A group of young boys in the 80s. Um, so it is a little bit tired of a genre, but it is very, very well done. Um, there's not really a lot I can get into with it because, I mean, I don't want to give away anything because for me personally, like, if you're going to watch this film, the one thing you need to know and, like, my bit biggest criticism of it is that everything you think is going to happen is going to happen. Um, it doesn't really have a big group of suspects. The person you think is the killer ends up being the killer. Like, there's no, like... I don't even feel bad, like, saying that as a spoiler because I feel like anyone who watches this film within 10 minutes is gonna know about that. Um, but it's not about the destination. It is about the journey. And this is a good three-and-a-half-star journey to go on, especially for, like, a modern film. Like, I feel like, even though recently, recently, I feel like I've been very generous with my letterbox scores, um, this one is a solid three-and-a-half. Um, and I mean that as a genuine, genuine three and a half, not my overinflated scores on Letterboxd because this next film I'm looking at is definitely not a three star film. Like I gave it the next film on this list, but this summer of 84 is genuinely a three and a half to four star film. I couldn't give it the four stars just because of the predictability of it. 
Um, and the fact that it is a story that you've seen a million times before, um, and sometimes better, um, like with a group of kids and stuff. I, I do hope they do a follow-up to this. They do leave it kind of like open-ended at the end to do more stuff with the teenagers in this. Um, of course now they're probably all like my age ish because I doubt any of them were actually teenagers when they filmed this, but great film really had a good time with summer of 84. I don't know why it took me like six years to watch it. Um, but it was the perfect place, perfect time. Really enjoyed watching Summer of 84. Perfect film to watch outside if you get the opportunity to watch it outside. I, of course, did not watch it outside, but I wish I did. May 29th. So I took a week and a couple days break. And my mother-in-law was over. And my mother-in-law's favorite thing to do is come over and watch a horror film. And she normally picks a really bad one. Like, let's just be honest. She normally picks a really bad horror film for us to watch. Hellbender was the film that my mother-in-law suggested. I gave it three stars. Looking back, I don't know why the hell I gave it three stars. One thing to note about this film that was very interesting, and I wrote this down when we were watching it, this is my 1,000th film in my diary on Letterboxd. Not my 1,000th film watched, but my 1,000th film logged into my diary. So I thought that was quite interesting. Um... I feel like this is another thing I've said a bunch, and I'm going to have to, you know, kind of scratch this word out of the podcast and not use it again intentionally after this. Because what this movie lacked in story and what it lacked in production value and what it lacked in so many other things, it made up for in the vibes. Um, it was a short film, um, not like a short film, but it was a. It was a full-length film. It was just shorter in length. Um, it was about 80 minutes or so. Um, it makes up for in the vibes. Like, it, this film is just a good, like, vibey film. Growing up is hell. A teen and her mother live simply in a home in the woods, spending their time making metal music. A chance encounter with a fellow teen causes her to uncover a connection between her family and witchcraft, which causes a rift between her and her mother. Um, again, I love the vibe of this film. Like, literally, it starts with a music video. Like, the film starts with the mother and daughter recording a song together. Um, there's a lot of things I like about this film. I love the mythology that they build in this film. Like, the way the magic works in Hellbender is actually kind of unique. Like, I really like the world they set up within this. I just really wish that they had, like, a better budget to deal with. Um... Maybe a little bit of, like, studio endorsement, like, something. Um, something interesting to note about this film is it's made by, like, a family. Um, John Adams, Zelda Adams, um, and Toby Poser. I believe is how you say her name. Um, the mother. Um, but they're a family. And they make all kinds of fucking films together. Which, in and of itself, is a vibe. Um, Hellbender was one of the more recent films. Um, but they've done all kinds of stuff. Like, the deeper you dig, the hatred, um, halfway to zen. Um, they've made a ton of films. Like, and I just can think of how great that must be. Like, I don't know if they have full-time jobs. Like, I don't know, like, what the money situation is with this family. But it just seems like a fucking cool thing to do. Like, imagine working, like, a 40-hour-a-week job and then every weekend you're shooting a film with your family. Like, I don't know, again, I don't know how this works out. I don't know if this is their job. I don't know if, I like, I don't know what the situation is. I would love to know what the situation is. Um, 
But it's great that it must be a good bonding experience for them. It's really great that they get to make all these movies together. But Hellbender, love the mythology, love the mythos, love the aesthetic, love the... I do like the story. I do like the story a lot. I just wish there was a little bit more to it. Um, but I really love how the magic kind of works in this film. It's very unique to most, like, witch and wizard stories that I've seen. Um, next film, and the last film of the month of May, I watched The Invisible Man on VHS in my bedroom because I felt like watching a VHS and I had a TVCR. Um, and The Invisible Man was what I selected. I don't know. That's what I felt like watching. Um, from 1933, this was the original Invisible Man by Universal. Um, something about those Universal films, like, they're really easy to kind of, like... I know some people will say they're, like, boring or whatever, but none of them are really, like, that long. So, like, they're only, only, you know, like, over an hour each-ish. This one in particular, uh, particular is 70 minutes. I apologize for jumping, jumbling all over all my words. Directed by James Whale. Of course directed um a lot of great shit back in the day um frankenstein the old dark house bride of frankenstein like you name it like he made like a bunch of great shit uh stars claude rains as dr jack griffith um the invisible man himself i was actually talking about this film the other day like obviously months and months later from watching it um but my friends sid and miles both watched the film and gave it pretty good scores so shout out to them um, Carl Lamel presents H.G. Wells' Fantastic Sensation. Working in Dr. Cranley's laboratory, scientist Jack Griffin was always given the latitude to conduct some of his own experiments. His sudden departure, however, has Cranley's daughter Flora worried about him. Griffin has taken a room at a nearby Lion's Head Inn, hoping to reverse an experiment he conducted on himself that made him invisible. But the experimental drug has also warped his mind, making him aggressive and dangerous. He's prepared to do whatever it takes to restore his appearance. Um, I really love The Invisible Man. Again, three and a half stars. One of my favorites out of the original Universal Monster Cycle. Not my favorite favorite, but one of the, be one of the better films that you can watch from that era. Um, it's also one of the most comedic films from that era. Like, if you were to pop one of these films on and think, like, oh, it's, like, boring, like, whatever. Invisible Man is not the one that falls into that category. The Invisible Man is funny. It's exciting. The writing is great. The performances are great. I mean, just think, like, um, he's an invisible man. He is acting purely with his actions and his voice. There's no facial expressions involved. A lot of the time, it's just his voice, and he's just sitting there. But even with him moving around and stuff like that, and the special effects are phenomenal. Like, I didn't even talk about the special effects. Like, obviously, they made someone invisible in 1933. Bro. Incredible special effects. Of course, around the same time King Kong came out. Like, great special effects few years. Great special effects era. Like, pioneering what effects would become before CG took over everything. Um, Invisible Man, I would probably put it in my top five-ish Universal Monster films. I've ranked them on my show in the past. I can't remember my exact ranking. I'm sure it's changed over the years. But Invisible Man is a solid, solid entry in the Universal Monster canon. Um, I've, I've watched a few of the sequels as well. Uh, actually, I've watched all of them. I think I've watched every Invisible Man sequel. Yeah, I have. Um... 
Second one's good too. Scott Vincent Price as the Invisible Man. That's a great one. Um, and now we're coming up into the month of June. Mr. Moon's birthday is in June. Mr. Moon was born in June, actually on the exact stroke of midnight on June 1st. When it became June, that's when my cat, Mr. Moon, was born. So we're just going to dive right into the month of June. A lot of these films, we're going to kind of breeze through pretty fast because I've already talked about them in another episode, and you'll see in a second. Are you tired of plain old breakfast? Cereal is not sugary enough? Are you tired of burnt pancakes and waffles? Then you need slapjacks! The slapjack gets your face and it causes a chemical reaction to heat up! No cooking required, just slap and eat! Don't believe us? Here's a satisfied customer! Slapjacks are the best breakfast food ever made! Slapjacks, slap those smiles back! <laughs> You heard of your kids. Slapjack saves lives. Order at www.slapjacks.com. So the month of June, basically the month of Saw. This is where I watched pretty much every Saw film, um, except for obviously Saw X, which came out quite a bit later on um, in the calendar year, as opposed to June. So I watched every Saw film all like completely in a row to start off the month of June. So if you guys haven't already, we actually reviewed on the show um, a few episodes back the entire Saw series ranked, ranking them from worst to first, um, going all the way through the franchise, breaking down every single film. So there's not really too much that I can add for the month of June. So I'll just kind of go through when I watched every single one of these movies but I'm not going to talk about them because I've already talked about them to death in that show, which I do suggest you guys go and check out and watch. Um, because I love doing the top tens. I love doing the ranking videos. They're some of my favorite episodes to do. So I definitely just recommend going and checking out that episode instead of hearing me talk about them all again. But on Saw, um, wow, I saw Saw number three first out of these I actually saw so I went over to Miles's house like a little bit of backstory so uh me and Miles were hanging out my wife had plans that night or something so I was like oh we'll go hang out with Miles and we'll play some video games maybe watch a couple movies I go over there and he is prepping for our saw podcast because we had planned to do it um initially like a couple years ago we we're like hey we should do saw one of these years so this we decided was the year to do it and leading up to it we knew that saw x was going to come out, so we fully committed to doing it, so June is when we really started watching the films. I show up at Miles' house, he's already almost all the way through with Saw 2, so I didn't count that on my letterbox, because I only watched a couple seconds of it towards the, not a couple seconds, maybe the last like 30 minutes or so. So I didn't count it as a full watch, I rewatched it again a few days later. But so Saw 3 was the first one that I watched in my rewatches from start to finish. And then from then on, I went completely in order, obviously skipping Saw 3, because I already saw it. So this was June 9th, watching Saw number 3. Um, I won't even read the descriptions, like there's no point, we'll just ble uh, breeze right past these. So Saw 3 on the 9th, also part of Saw 2. Um, on the 14th, I did a double feature of Saw and Saw 2, both of which giving them four stars. On the 15th, there was a triple feature. 
in which I watched Saw 4, 5, and 6. The following day on the 16th, I watched Saw 7, otherwise known as Saw 3D, the final chapter, um, as well as Jigsaw within the same day. So those were both on the 16th. On the 17th, Spiral from the Book of Saw. And then, obviously, if you skip over to the end of September, that's when I watched Saw X. So that is the entire Saw series. As I said, just did a whole episode about it, recorded it the other day, um, and it is released now. So go ahead and check that out. Um, very great episode, in my opinion. Um, I, I really just love doing the rankings, and I love doing the top tens. I love doing, like, the unscripted... I mean, that, not that that was scripted, but I love doing the more laid-back episodes as well. But it's always nice to have like, a good, solid ranking, or good, solid, like, big episode to really define that month of October for the show. So, obviously, the first one, where it was the marathon, we did Halloween, we did Nightmare on Elm Street, we did Friday the 13th, and now we did Saw. What series should we do next year? Um, let us know down in the comments below if you're on YouTube, or reach out to us on Facebook, um, Instagram, Twitter, I don't use Twitter anymore, um, uh, but reach out somewhere and let us know what series we should be doing next. Um, after that, a few days later, took a break, took a three day break from horror films, watched Night of the Demons, a rewatch for me, at least for like a long time. Like I haven't seen Night of the Demons in a very, very long time. Angela is having a party. Jason and Freddy are too scared to come, but you'll have a hell of a time. While conducting a seance during a Halloween party, high school seniors unlock the demon that remains locked in the crematorium. Um, I don't really know what to add to Night of the Demons that hasn't really already been talked about um, a lot. I love... Night of the Demons, like, I don't think it's a major, major, major classic or anything. Um, it's a good, solid B to C tier 80s horror film. Definitely worth a watch um, if you haven't seen it before. Um, I love the animation during the opening credits. It lets you know that you're in for a spooky good time. Um, it's just your typical 80s teen Halloween party movie. I mean, there's nothing too special about it. Out of that genre of 80s teen Halloween party movies, it is in the upper echelon of those. Um, I just love the nostalgic feeling of the film. There's the best old die cuts um, all around the Halloween decorations. They're watching vintage cartoons. Um, there's some creative ideas in this, creative camera work. Um, in the scene where they're talking about the house being possessed by demons, instead of having just static shots and cuts, the camera's actually circling around the room. And of course, this does come back with the first attack from the demon. Um, it's just a really great film. It does have some, like I said, out of this genre, it's kind of in the upper tier of the films that you could be watching. And I really enjoy it. It's a solid three-star. There's no arguing that it's a three-star film. Just very, very good. Of course, this is from 88. So as the 80s were kind of winding down. Um, and coming up next, the following day, mid-80s. Smack dab in the middle of the 80s. 1985. Another classic. I would call this one a classic. This one is an absolute essential top 10 80s horror film. Like, obviously, Return of the Living Dead. They're back from the grave and ready to party. 
when a bumbling pair of employees at a medical supply warehouse accidentally release a deadly gas into the air. The vapors cause the dead to reanimate as they go on a rampage seeking their favorite food, brains. This film is a unique film in the sense, like, had you just, like, looked at the title, the casual fan, like, not a horror fan, you might associate it with Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, um, Day of the Dead, stuff like that. It's not associated with the Romero zombies at all. They're completely different from the Romero zombies. In this one, each body part acts independently. Classically, the zombies from the Romero and I guess like the mainstream version of a zombie, you kill the brain, shoot them in the head, chop their head off, like whatever, it's done. This one doesn't work like that. Each body part is its own animation, basically. Like if you chop off a finger, that finger is coming to chase you. Shit like that. Um, it's one of the best horror comedies, like of all time. It's got great comedy, killer theme song. Um, the only thing that is lacking in the film. The only critique that I can give it is the dialogue. Um, it's really lacking. There's a lot of characters repeating themselves. Um, it sounds like a broken record. It's probably why Miles loves the film so much. Because everyone in this film talks like a broken record, just like Miles on occasion. Um, like, just watch the film. You're t you'll talk about, are you sure this is going to work? Are you sure this is going to work? Should we incinerate the body? Should we incinerate the body? Um, the dead are coming back to life. The dead are coming back to life. Like, everyone just sort of, like, has the same conversation over and over and over again. Like, I don't know if they were trying to pat the runtime, um, if they were so focused on the special effects and stuff like that that they didn't really get, like, a good writer for this. I don't know, like, what the behind-the-scenes details were. There's, obviously, this was seven years before I was born was when this released, probably eight years when they were making it. Um, the characters are just iconic. You have the punk rock group of teens or whatever. The one dude is also from, um, Friday the 13th part five. Um, it's just a great film. Um, has some staple characters, um, staple, um, actors, as I mean, I mean, what's her face is in it. What's her name? Uh, what is her name? Leanna Quigley. Leanna Quigley is in the film. Um, just it checks all the boxes for 80s horror. The only, like I said, the only critique I have is the dialogue at times. And we only got one left for the month of June. So the month of June, we blew past. Uh, mainly, not because I didn't watch films. Like, literally, I watched nine Saw movies in the month of June. And then with these four other films, I watched 13 horror films within the month of June. We just kind of had to blow through some of them just for the sake of timing in July, I watched a ton of shit, so July will be a completely packed out month. But for the month of June, there really isn't that much going on in the month of June. The last film for the month of June is Cocaine Bear. Questionable whether or not it's actually a horror film. There's some things that are horrifying about it, like how horrifyingly bad it is. Um, Miles loved it. A lot of people I know loved it. Um, a lot of people on my letterboxd gave it four to three and a halfs. I even see some fives in here. Um, but the people whose opinions I really trust, like some of the people that I trust what they think about films, they've all rated it similar to I do, like a star, a star and a half. Um... Some questionable ratings on my letterbox, in my opinion, from people that have seen this film. 
Of course, this was a new release. It was directed by Elizabeth Banks in 2023. Get in line. An oddball group of cops, criminals, tourists, and teens converge in a Georgia forest where a 500-pound black bear goes on a murderous rampage after unintentionally ingesting cocaine. Of course, loosely based on true events. Um, it stars the one dude, uh, I, I shouldn't say stars, he's in it. The dude from TikTok, everyone knows that TikTok guy where he does like the customer service kind of videos where he's an angry customer service employee. He's in it. Um, literally from the first shot of the film, like, you know, it's going to be bad because they have like this really terrible looking CGI plane. Um, so it lets you know right off the bat, you're getting into some shit. Um, Ray Liotta is in the film in his last role, I believe. Um, he's really phoning it in, in this piece. I mean, this was right before his death. Um, wondering how much he got paid to not give a single shit about this movie. Cause he even acts like he does not give a shit about what's happening around him. Um, any line where he yells or raises his voice or grunts, he sounds almost exactly like Chris Jericho. Um, it's just hilarious to me. Um, the only thing of note that I liked in the film is that there is a Depeche Mode poster and other cool posters in this young girl's home. Um, so I love the nod to music that I like and some cool shit that I like. Other than that, I don't really have a good thing to say about the film. I think it's terrible. Um, terribly acted, terribly directed. It doesn't fall into the so bad it's good category. A lot of people think it's so bad it's good. It's so bad it is bad. Um, I don't recommend it. I'll probably never watch it again. I don't, I don't think I would ever want to give it another chance. Although if someone like holds me down, it's like, you got to watch cocaine bear again. You fucked up. Everything is great about this film. Um, maybe I would, but under normal circumstances, not being in some sort of torture device, I do not foresee myself rewatching this film at all. Um, which is a shame because I do like some of the people in it. I like that dude from TikTok. I like O'Shea Jackson Jr. I like Ray Liotta. Um, I'm not sure if I've seen... This might be the only Elizabeth Banks movie that I have seen. Um, yeah, I've only seen Cocaine Bear out of her um, filmography. So, not a good track record for her, I guess. Um because I haven't seen any of the things that she's done, and the one thing I've seen that she's done I do not particularly enjoy. Um, and that is going to wrap up the month of June, and I think, let's see how many films I have in July. Just a quick count up of films I have in July that are horror. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 11 horror films in July. Um... So I think this might be a good point to kind of pause the show. We're going to have to do a part three eventually. I don't think it'll be in October. It might be in another month. It might be a little bit down the road. But we're going to have to pick up with July another time. Maybe round out the summer, July, August, September show, and then October through the end of the year, depending on how many things I watch um, in October through the end of the year to see if this next part will be the third and final part or if there'll be a part three and a part four, I do solemnly swear that I will get out the final conclusions to these episodes by the end of the year, because I don't want to take up more time in October recapping shit from last year, like I've done every other year. So for the New Year's special 
or the Christmas special, you will be getting parts three and four, or maybe just one part three, depending on how many films, wrapping up every single horror film that I saw in the year of 2023 to ring in 2024 and to say goodbye to the year that was 2022. Um, 2023, what the fuck am I saying? 2023, to round out the year, bringing us into 2024. Um, I want to know, because this episode will be out while the year's still going, what films that I haven't seen so far... And you guys can look at my letterbox to kind of get a sneak preview of some stuff I'm going to be talking about later. What films for the rest of the year should I be watching? Like, what came out in the past couple years that I should take a look at? What films have I notoriously not seen that I should take a look at? Still haven't seen Last House on the Left. Still haven't seen um, a lot of horror classics that for some reason I should have seen by now. But... Let me know what I should be watching for the end of the year, and maybe we can talk about them in the conclusions to the episodes that I'm going to be doing. Of course, you have a lot of things to look forward to within that part three. Um, I rewatched everything in the Insidious series. I watched Knock at the Cabin. Um, I rewatched Psycho. I rewatched all kinds of stuff. I watched some stuff for the first time new. Saw some stuff in theaters, some horror films that I'm excited to talk about as well. Um, like Last Voyage of the Demeter, Talk to Me, stuff like that. So part three, when it does come out, I'm getting into some heavy hitters in there. Um, but for this episode, I think covering like a three-ish month span is a good enough representation for this episode. I don't want to do like half a July, because there's no way we're getting through all of July and keeping this under like an hour and a half or something like that. So rather than cutting off July midway through, we'll start fresh with July with part three. Which is good because that's about halfway through the year. So we're a little over halfway through the year of films I watched. So maybe maybe from now on we do it by quarters. What did I watch in quarter one of 2023? Quarter two of 2023? Stuff like that. Um, just some spitballing, some ideas. And I guess with that we'll kind of wrap things up for this episode of the show. And again, I'm, I'm not going to do a pre-recorded outro for this. We'll just... We'll just ride off into the sunset together. I'm not going to waste your time doing a pre-recorded outro for this one. Sometimes I like to do them. Sometimes, you know, I just kind of fly by the seat of my pants. And we will do the pre-recorded outro within the normal outro. So I just want to thank you guys for sticking with me um, through this episode, through the episodes that have been coming out this month. I greatly appreciate it. If you've been enjoying the content that I've been putting out on this channel so far, and for some reason you haven't already, make sure you're subscribing wherever you're getting the show, whether it be YouTube, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, um, whatever streaming service, whatever video provider you're listening to the show, make sure you're subscribing, share the show with some of your friends who you think would enjoy it. I would love if you guys spread the good word about the house of horror. Um, leave me a rating and a review. If you're over on Apple podcasts or any on the, uh, other sites that let you give a rating and a review on YouTube, the best thing to do, give it a thumbs up, give it a share. Um, put it in your Instagram story, do something, help spread the great word about the show. And what episodes should I do next? Because I want to not make this just an October show, um, which is part of the reason I'm not exactly doing 31 this year, because I want to keep going into November, into December. I kind of want to make it more year-round as opposed to, all right, here's a ton of fucking videos in October and none ever again. 
I want to do it where there's a lot in October, but there's still quite a few throughout the year as well, instead of just one or two sporadic episodes. So let me know what you guys want to see in future episodes of the show. I will greatly appreciate it. Again, if you look in the description, you'll see where you can reach me on all of my social media platforms and stuff like that. So we'll just wrap this thing off. We will ride into the sunset. And I will see you back here again for another episode of Buddy's House of Horror that will be coming your way very, very soon. Again, I appreciate all you guys. Thank you guys for checking out the show. Boys and ghouls, we will be signing off for this episode. So with that, everyone, take care and stay spooky.